So here's what I thought we'd do. Just uh, like Joey said, we want to be cognizant of everybody's time. Uh, I'll have you out of here by 3 o'clock this afternoon. And uh, No, I'm just kidding. So what I was thinking is, um, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, and then I thought uh, when we talk about the issue of spiritual disciplines, I'll just start by jumping right into the deep end, and I'll just answer some questions that might already be in your minds, and, uh, and then we'll look at it together. So Second Peter chapter number 1. This is a great little place to jumping off point for. Second Peter 1, verse number 3 and following says this, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Now that's just a real flowery way of saying that Jesus Christ provided everything that we needed at the cross and the resurrection. Okay? So nobody earns their salvation, and you can't do enough good works for God to love you. God loves you because you're unlovable. God comes to you in the depths of your sin and darkness and brokenness, just like to me, and He brings the glory of His redeeming grace, and He says, when you didn't love me while you were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And so the wonderful thing about the Gospel is that Christ loves you more than you love yourself. Okay? But look at what it says here. It doesn't stop there. Verse number 5 says this, For uh, the world, because of... Verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, look at the list, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, we're saved by grace. We grow by grace. But what we want to understand is that uh, in our Christian life, that grace is never opposed to effort. Now, grace is always opposed to earning. And earning is an attitude. If you say, well, I have the attitude, well, I'm going to earn my way into heaven, or I'm going to earn God's favor. No, that's not the way it works. But the grace of God is never opposed to strong effort in the Christian life. Make every effort to supplement your faith. You've believed. Now what I want you to do is, every day of your life, I want you to strive real hard with the power of the Holy Spirit of God and the grace of God. I want you to use the spiritual disciplines to grow. Right? I don't want you to remain a baby. There's too many Christians in our congregations that remain babies. They're saved by grace, yes, but they're not growing. They're not walking. They're not doing the hard work of growing in grace. And so he says here, I want you to add to your faith this virtue and brotherly love and self-control. I want you to really get after living for Jesus. And, and, and that's an important thing. And don't ever forget that the Spirit of God is along with us, right? He helps us. Right? And maybe think about it like this. You know, it's like uh, the elephant and the flea. And, and, and they cross the bridge and they get to the other side and the flea looks up and says, boy, we really shook that thing, didn't we? You, know, you see what I'm saying, right? The Spirit of God is the elephant. He's, a, he's the one that's moving things along. He does the work. But the flea has to come alongside. The flea has to decide in his own heart that, or her own heart that I'm going to submit, I'm going to yield, I'm going to give everything, I've got every effort. See, grace is never opposed to effort. Right? And I'm going to jump in here. Now, it's all baptized in grace. You're going to fail tomorrow. You're going to mess up this week. 
But what God wants you to do is get up every single day and say, you know what, by God's grace, I'm going to give every effort that I have to grow as a believer. And then let me just read the uh, last few verses here. Uh, verse number 9, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he or she, it's a, it's, a, it's a generic word here, that he or she is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from the former sins. Now do you see what's going on there? If you do not work in your Christian life, if you not take the effort to, to grow in Christ's likeness, you're nearsighted. And what happens is you forget what God did for you at the moment you were born again. And you neglect the very grace of the cross. When you partake and when you start putting effort into your Christian life to work in the spiritual disciplines, it's not a work salvation. In fact, the harder and the more effort you put in to follow Jesus, the more you glorify and reverence and worship what He did at the cross. You see, when you put effort into your Christian life, what you're saying is what Jesus at the cross did at the cross matters so much that I want to live the rest of my life in absolute gratitude for what He has done. And so if that means that I need to submit to Him, if that means that I should read, if that means that I have issues with my anger and temper and God, and all the, if that means that, that God wants me to be transformed from the inside out, then I'll do what He asks of me out of thankfulness and gratitude for what He has done. And in a life of gratitude, what I'm saying is the cross matters. But if you live the kind of life where you just say, now I got saved, and I, I'm a broken person, and this is just who I am. You just got to take me. That's just, just who I am. Well, listen. If you live your whole Christian life like that and die and go to heaven, what, what you're really doing is saying the cross is not that valuable. Because if it really means something to you, then you'll want to live like Jesus lived, right? Okay, so uh, now the preaching's done. Let me just teach her a little bit, okay? Uh, let me just jump in with a few questions that might be on your mind. So the first one I put down was this. What is a spiritual discipline? All right? Man, don't you even hate using that word? I mean, discipline, sometimes you think of discipline as like getting a spanking when you were a kid or grounding or timeout or whatever you do. You think, no, no, listen, this more than that. What is a spiritual discipline? Or it used to be called means of grace. What is a spiritual discipline? Here's a simple definition for you. It's grace-driven activities that help you do what you cannot do in your own effort. Let me say that again for you. Grace-driven activities that help you do what you cannot do by your own effort. For instance, we were, we, were, we were talking a little bit ago, uh, Joey, when we first got here, and, and uh, I said, you play any instruments? And he said, yeah, I play, I play a little guitar. Uh, I play, you know, I don't, I don't know. He said, I play a little guitar. And uh, I've often thought in my own life, man, I wish I could play the guitar. I, I'm married now. I have, two, I have two little ones. But back in the day, I remember thinking, the guys that play the guitars, they get the chicks. You know what I mean? Like, if you can play the guitar, you can, if you play, right? It's like, man, I can't play the guitar. Now, listen. If we all go up in the sanctuary right now, and I and let's say let's say I dressed as cool as Joey, I put I put the guitar on. Listen, I strap it on. I even get like the worship leader stance, you know, one foot in front of the other. I am ready. I'm like Slash from the old days, Guns and Roses. I got a top hat. I'm ready to play. Let's say I do everything that it takes. I get there, but I can't play. In my own effort, I, I I'm telling you, I've never played the guitar. I have no idea where to put my hands. How to play. But I want to. In my own effort, I, in my own capability, I long to play the guitar, but I can't. But now just say, 
I could spend six months up here. I can't. But let's say I spend six months up here. And let's say every Thursday for two hours, Joey came up here and started teaching me where to put my hands and how to do the strings. And let's say that I got a book of music and I started reading chord charts and chord progressions. And I, let's say I started not just Thursdays, but I got excited about it. And I started spending 30 minutes every single morning learning to play the guitar. You think in six months, Joey, I could play a couple of tunes? Yeah. You see where I'm going with that? In my own effort, I can't play the guitar. But if I take hold of some grace-driven activities such as practicing and getting lessons and reading chord progressions, and I work at it, right? I put effort into it, six months from now, I could do what I otherwise could not do in my own power. Now, what are spiritual disciplines? Spiritual disciplines are activities that are filled with God's grace, but they you have access to. That if you'll work at, with God's help, will help you to do what you otherwise could not do. Now, let me give you let me let me be a little bit more real here for a second. What if you're the kind of person in here that had a temper? Let's say you had a problem with rage, with wrath, with anger. Let's say you had a short fuse. And you were the kind of person that in the relationships in your life with your kids or with your spouse or with your boss, maybe you've been, maybe you've been let go at work before. You've been written up because you, you, you've out, uh, had like a temper before. That happens to people. And so you say, man, I'm struggling deeply with anger. And I wish, I long that I wouldn't be the kind of person that just gets angry and blows up at people. Furthermore, not just the negative side. It's not just that I don't want to be an angry person anymore. I don't want to have that kind of... That, that hurting anger and that frustration. I've damaged so many relationships in my life because I get angry. Not just that, but I want to be the exact opposite. I want to be filled with love and joy and kindness. I want people to get around me and say, man, I'm encouraged and lifted up. I want to be the kind of person that responds well to difficult circumstances, but I have no effort or no power in myself to make that happen. And furthermore, I've been a believer for years and I'm still struggling with this. Hmm. Now, what might, you, what, what might you could do? You could find a spiritual discipline and activity that you could practice every day. And with the grace and the help of the Spirit of God, in six months to a year, maybe not be completely rid of anger, <coughs> but you could be very much different than you are right now. You might be the kind of person that struggles with lust. You might be the kind of person that is maybe what's ailing you and really plaguing your life is a lack of discipline or laziness or I can't hold a job down or I can't do this or maybe you have uh, relational issues and you're just you're the kind of person that's always got drama running around your life and you can't you know I, I, I know a person right now I'm thinking back home and uh, they go from job to job to job and every time I talk to them it's always about how terrible the other coworkers are and they're okay. You ever meet that kind of person? Every job they go to, they're not the problem. Everybody else is the problem. No. Flashing neon sign, you're the problem. You have relationship issues. Spiritual disciplines are those grace-driven activities that we can bring into our life. They're within our power that God's given to us. That if we practice those daily, weekly, 
I've got two kids that are under two. All right. So I used to say daily. Now I find myself saying more weekly. Okay. <laughs> Maybe monthly. I don't know. Let's just do the best we can. Let's start somewhere. G.K. Chesterton said that it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting, but that it's been left untried. Okay. So, so we find some grace-driven activities in our life, and we say, hey, listen, man, I'm... All right, man, this is being recorded. <laughs> it's okay. This is, let me just be honest with you. So I share my soul, and you share your soul. I get frustrated sometimes. I got all this stuff at church and work and life and all this kind of stuff. And I've got two boys. One's 17 months and one's four months. And I feel like I never stop changing diapers. We're just, I mean, it's just constant. And I've got uh, my, my, uh, my oldest, if he's in the high chair and he's eating something, he can be eating it and loving it. Mm, that's so good. And you put one more bite up there and he slaps your hand. And chicken nuggets are all over the room. And my wife pointed out to me recently, she said, you know, sometimes you lose your temper. Sometimes you snap out loud at the kids. Mm. That's a dagger to the heart, right? i got to come up here and teach on spiritual disciplines, right? <laughs> so, so I back up and I say, man, Lord, that just, that's in me. It just comes out. It comes out before I can even do anything. It's there. Why? It's just inside. Romans 6 says that sin is inside of our members. Do you realize that sin is actually not just inside your spirit? It's in your muscles. Do you know that? Ask any guy what happens when a pretty girl walks by in the mall. First thing he does is suck his gut in. You know why? Because sin is inside of your body. Yeah. Now you just think about how deeply ingrained that is. You do it without even thinking. So you know what I did? I said, okay. James 1.20, my oldest son's name is James. He's the one that slaps the nuggets. <laughs> James 1.20 says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And the uh, Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, um, don't be eager in your heart to be angry because anger resides in the bosom of fools. So I found those couple of verses and I begin to memorize them. And I just repeat them back to myself as I'm changing my boy. And sometimes he's on the table and he's squealing and squalling and putting his hands in stuff it doesn't belong in. And I've got to hold his legs and it's like, the anger of man did not achieve the righteousness of God. Okay? Now listen, so I'm telling you I'm human like you are, right? You're not going to walk on a cloud, right? But what I'm telling you is that's a discipline within your grasp that you could begin to work on. And even in a short period of time, my wife has been able to see some changes like, hey, you're handling that situation a little bit better. Now you just work that in. I don't have time to teach a long time today, so you're going to have to run with that and just work that in your own life. Find some disciplines. Now I'll give you a sheet. We'll go over it in just a few minutes. I promise I won't keep you long. Number two, what does the Bible say about, um, about spiritual disciplines? Well, here's what I'll do. We read a passage, but here's the best thing. I can answer this one quickly for you. What you want to do is go to the life of Jesus. Tell me four books in the Bible that are about Jesus. Somebody tell them to me. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's a good place to start. 
Here's all I want you to do. Read the life of Jesus, and you will see that Jesus practiced the spiritual disciplines all over the place. The Bible says that He went to the mountain and He practiced solitude. The Bible says that He prayed all night. He practiced prayer. The Bible says that Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. I wouldn't start there if I were you. Maybe one meal or two. Don't fast when the biscuits are on the gravy, all right? Jesus, uh, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He served other people. Uh, every discipline that you can possibly think about that would be in the Bible, Jesus did. Now, here's the question. Right, this is a $60 million question. If Jesus is really the living Son of God, He is God, very God, and He thought it was necessary in His own life to practice the disciplines of prayer and reading and fasting and service, what makes you think you're any different? Are you Jesus? Well, you're not Jesus. And yet Jesus thought they were valuable enough in His own life to practice. So I want to encourage you when your pastors are teaching you and talking to you about, hey, let's start reading some Scripture. Let's start getting together in a Bible study. Let's start serving our city. Let's start fasting a little bit here and there for some of the big days and things that we have going on. You join right in that, right? Um, years ago, years ago, um, there was a book written by Sheldon and... Uh, said um, this statement, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Anybody ever heard that statement? Now listen, I'm not knocking the book. It's a, great, it's, it's a good book. It's a good idea. If you want to wear the band, I'm happy for you. But the question that you should, not, should ask is not what would Jesus do? The question you ought to ask is, what did Jesus do every day of his life that gave him the power to do in the moment what needed to be done? You see, because that's the mark of mature Christianity, that you can do in the moment what needs to be done. You see, my gentlemen, when the picture comes on the screen or you're watching football tomorrow afternoon and they come back from the commercial and the cheerleaders are there and you know that the right thing to do is to look to your wife and not to that. What are you doing in your life daily that will give you the power in the moment to do what ought to be done? See, Because I assure you, if you try to live the Christian life by willpower alone, you will never make it. If you wait till the moment that you're in a heated debate with somebody, you'll lose your temper. If you wait till the moment until you, there's some sort of juicy gossip that you want to say about somebody, you'll just keep on gossiping. You cannot defeat sin and grow in grace in the moment. You have to train off the spot so that you'll be ready when you're on the spot. Ask yourself, what did Jesus do every day of His life that prepared Him to be ready in the moment? When they get to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is there with a few of His buddies. They've had too many biscuits and gravy. And what do they do? They fall asleep. Is that right? They fall asleep. And Jesus tries to wake them up three times. And you see what Jesus is trying to say? Listen, the greatest hour of temptation in all of history is coming Jesus is going to drink the cup of wrath and go to the cross and die for humanity. And he's trying to tell his buddies, the hour is coming. Won't you pray with me one hour? But they, weren't, they had not trained off the spot. They weren't like Jesus. Jesus had been all night in prayer on the mountainsides. So he was ready to do what needed to be done in the moment. All right. All right. Lost my place. Here we go. Uh, number three. Why do I need to practice them? Well, this is pretty simple. First of all, uh, I would say the cost of non-discipleship. Right? Uh, Dietrich Ronhofer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, but I, I think you could flip that on its head and say, listen, there's a huge cost for not being a disciple of Jesus. You want to know what that is? 
It's that you end up living a worldly, upside-down kind of life. You, and it's, it's worse sometimes. It's not worse than being an unbeliever, but man, it's really bad because you know inside that you're redeemed. You know that God's given you grace, but you also realize, man, my life is not the way that it should be. There's an oughtness here. I, I, I feel a disconnect. I love Jesus, but my life doesn't mirror Jesus. And so you live all the time well, under this constant guilt and conviction that, man, I, I'm, I'm not walking out what I say I believe. i got time for a quick little testimony. I struggled with this. I, I grew up, a, I grew up in, a, in a tradition where uh, I got saved when I was seven years old. I trusted Jesus. I walked with the Lord for a little while, and then my parents uh, got divorced. My father uh, had a two-year affair on my mom and walked out, and he was a preacher, and it was terrible. I, I, I mean, they were a junkie. So I had time I got a teenager. I had wasn't in church, wasn't doing any of that stuff. And then somewhere along the line, I, I got back into church, and, and, uh, and then I was at a church where what would happen was they would say, you just need to surrender your life to Jesus. Surrender, surrender, surrender to Jesus. And so what would happen is I would live like the devil for about three or four months. I'd get under this heavy conviction. I'm like, ah, I know I'm in sin. This is wrong. I'd go to church. I'd come down to the altar. I would cry. I'd give my whole life to Jesus. And it would be perfectly bliss for about three weeks. I'd be loving Jesus and reading the Bible and praying and sharing the gospel. And then something would come along the road and the, the, the whole thing would come crashing down. And I'd ride this roller coaster of my emotions and walking with Jesus and sin up and down and up and down. Does this sound familiar to anybody? I finally got to Bible college. I, I, I had I had like a you would say like I have I had a, a come to meeting Jesus with meeting with Jesus. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm I'm fixing to be done. Oh, I say fixing. I'm from my wife is from Sacramento and she's like, I don't think anybody else in the world but in the South say fixing. All right. I was fixing to just get out of Christianity. All the guys like, I cannot ride this emotional roller coaster. And then I started reading and understanding, and God brought some things into my life, and I realized, you know, there's there's two parts here. There is absolute surrender to the Lord. We want to yield ourselves to Him, but then there's the daily working out of disciplined life, creating grooves of grace in your mind, habits of righteousness. And when I begin to marry those two together, the grace of God and submission, and then actually walking out what I believed in the Bible, God began to change my life. And rather than riding a roller coaster, my, my, my growth hasn't necessarily been like this, but the chart's been a little bit like this. And sometimes it's like this, and sometimes it's like this. But, but growing steadily in the Lord. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of freedom in that. That's the other part of discipline that is wonderful. When you think of discipline, sometimes you might think about, well, that's things I, I don't get to do. But see, discipline is freedom. The more disciplined to life you are, the freer you are. Just like Joey is free to pick up a guitar and play a song. I'm not free. I'm in bondage. There's no way I can play the guitar. But if I practice grace-driven activities, six months from now, I could, I could pick up a guitar and play it. And play what I want. And isn't that what you want in your life? You want to live the kind of life where you say, you know what, I'm not perfect, but I'm being the kind of mom that God wants me to be. I, I, I'm being the kind of Christian, the kind of dad. I'm being the kind of believer. I'm, a, I'm, I'm being a committed church member that's seeing people come to faith in Christ. I'm on the same train, pulling in the same direction. And my life is starting to make sense. I'm, I, these things are pulling together in the right direction. It's what you want. 
And that comes by a disciplined Christian life. All right, number four. Do the disciplines contradict grace? The answer, no. <laughs> okay, number five. No, I'm just messing with you. I guess I better elaborate on that. Uh, as I said before, grace is always opposed to earning, not opposed to effort. And so that's two different things, right? It, 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 effort is an action in your life. You're working at something. Uh, earning is an attitude. I deserve this. You deserve nothing from God. So you never approach the Christian life as if I do this and God owes me. No, that's the wrong attitude. You come to this as saying a grace-driven, humble life. and say, Lord, these are the things You've set out. I'm going to do this, but I need You. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm going to walk with You and read and pray and I want to grow and I want to, I want to be a part of a community that's growing. But Lord, You've got to make all of these things happen. Please help me. That kind of attitude will go a long way. It's the difference between trying and training, right? Listen, this is the most foolish statement. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Well, that is absolutely wrong. What you ought to say is if at first you don't succeed, find out what went wrong and fix it. And then try again. Right? If NASA sends a rocket into space that's $14 billion and it blows up three quarters of the way into space, they don't just say, build another rocket and let's throw it up there again. They find out what went wrong. And that's what you need to do in your life. It's not a matter of just, I'm just going to try harder. What does that mean? I'm just going to be more loving. What does that mean? No. no you, don't, you don't just wake up and say, mm. <laughs> You could do that doing other things. I don't know. But, uh, you know. It's an intelligent effort. I said, Lord, show me from the Scripture what to do. I'm just going to try not to be angry. No. I'm going to find some verses that talk about anger. And I'm going to realize that the Bible says that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And I'm going to say, if the Word of God does that, then I'm going to memorize it. Especially when it talks about anger. Yeah. Just a quick question. Yeah. When you, um, effort is what? What was that? When you get there? You have earning is an attitude and you have effort. Effort, effort is action. Action. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. The difference between trying and training. Not just trying harder, training, right? Okay. Uh, then number five, and this is where your sheet comes in, and, and I'll be, give me two minutes, and then uh, we'll take questions for, uh, for a little bit. Number five, what are the most important disciplines? Now, I've given you a sheet, but uh, I'm just going to uh, tell you these three, and, uh, and then we'll look at the others for a second, Okay. So, historically in the church, right, and not just this church, but every church around the world that loves Jesus, historically in the church, there have been three streams of grace, three streams of disciplines. And uh, you might know the first two. The third one's probably one you haven't thought about. But the reading of Scripture, okay? Does everybody in this room have a Bible? Okay. One that you can read and not that just sits on a shelf somewhere, okay, or an app, something like that. Um. One thing you can do is uh, Quorum Day Church out of Nebraska. They have a podcast called The uh, Daily Liturgy. And because I've got two kids and I'm up at like 2 in the morning like feeding and stuff, sometimes I'm so tired I can't do devotions. It's a podcast where they read the Daily Liturgy to you, which just simply means they read like a verse on confession for you. They read a verse on adoration to the Lord. And they read a little bit and they read it. So sometimes I'm like, you know, I got a, I'm plugging the pie hole with a bottle. And, uh, and I just I hit play and I listen to the Scripture, right? So, Scripture reading is important. 
prayer. Okay, you do not have to be like a deacon Moses in the church. You know how some guys get up or gals and I like they know how to pray real flowery prayers. God could care less about your vocabulary. Now you need to be reverent when you talk to Him, but you can talk to Him. Okay, Lord, and and just want you to understand, God is really strong and big enough, and He's been around a long time. So you can you can talk to him about whatever. Like so you know what I mean? Like if somebody dies of cancer in your family and you're you're just you're shot all to pieces, God is really strong enough for you to say, I have no idea why you did that and I don't think it's fair. Now you need to follow that up by saying, You're God and I'm not, so can you help me a little bit? Alright, be humble about it. But you can go to God with just about anything. No, you can go to God with anything, okay? Just talk to him. When you talk to God, here's what you need to remember. When you close your eyes, that's probably a good practice. You don't have to. If you're driving and you want to pray, don't close your eyes. Please, Jesus, don't do that, all right? But this is what I want you to do. When you pray and you do close your eyes, I want you to say, now, Lord, you're right in front of my face. You're here. You see, God is in this room right now with us. And if you'll begin to pray like that and hold Him before your mind, you'll find that your prayer life will be different. The third stream has always been the Lord's Supper. Did you know that? That's a spiritual discipline. I think this church, you take the Lord's Supper every week. Don't let it become duty. It is a gift of God to be able to take the bread and the wine. It's a discipline. You say, what's the discipline? You preach the Gospel to yourself again every week. And not only do you do it individually, you look to your left and you look to your right and you do it with a community of broken people who have found grace in Jesus, right? Look at your uh, list here. We're, we're just about done. There's um, disciplines of abstinence, solitude, silence, fasting, uh, Sabbath, secrecy, submission. I put a little something there for you on those, right? You say, I don't know where to start. I'm not, man, I, don't, I don't know where to start. Talk to your pastor. He'll help you work on these. Okay. And then disciplines of uh, engagement. Bible reading, worship, prayer, personal reflection. I'll give you just a couple of how my, uh, my family, we do them. So I do some of these individually, and we do some of these as a family. I'll tell you where we are right now. Life's so busy. In the morning, every morning, I, uh, I get my one son in my arm. My wife's got the other. We go to the door. Usually one of them or more are crying or upset or snot's coming out of something or other things are coming out. And this is what we, this is what we do. Um, we close our eyes just for a moment, kind of peek, make sure I don't get poked in the eye by my oldest son. And then we just simply say this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Have you ever heard that? It's in the Bible. In fact, I'm going to preach on it tomorrow. Now that's just a, that's just a way for us to wrap our minds around how Jesus said to pray. And what, what I want is for my children to grow up with the groove of grace in their mind of hearing that again and again and again. And my hope is one day when they're 21 or 25 and they're acting the fool somewhere, that God will bring that back to them and say, my name is to be hallowed, not yours. Put your faith in Christ. Yeah. And, uh, and then here's another one. It's called the examine. It's about 1,600 years old. Some Catholic priest came up with it somewhere, but don't worry. 
You can baptize it in Jesus, okay? It's called the examine. In the nighttime, you know, at the end of your day, right? Right before you go to bed, take a few minutes and do these, do these things. Look back over your day in your mind and ask yourself these questions. Where did I see the goodness of God today? You know what I might say tonight? I saw a beautiful little garden right out here that some people have been planting. That's the goodness of God, right? It's beauty. It's beauty in God's creation. You might see it in a person. You might see it in creation. You might see it somewhere. See where you saw goodness of God. The second thing I say is, where, where did I learn to grow today? Ah, oh, now watch me here. It might look like this. I yelled at somebody today and I shouldn't have. I had that thought and I shouldn't have. I said that and I shouldn't have done that. I went there and I didn't do that. Where did you grow? Where did you not grow? Where was an opportunity that you could have done good and you didn't? And then just talk to God about that. Well, Lord, I'm sorry. And if you give me another opportunity, I'll do right on that again. By your help. And the good thing about God is I promise you tomorrow will come and you'll have another opportunity to either screw up or do right. <laughs> and then lastly, finish your day by saying, now what does the future hold? What can I do tomorrow to be more like Jesus? Yeah. What can I do tomorrow to be more like Jesus? And if you'll finish your day, you don't have to do it every day, maybe once a week, start there once a month. I see what happens is if you do that at the end of the day, you see the most basic level of faith is when you fall asleep at night. Because when you fall asleep at night, you stop trying to control the world and you let the God of all creation sustain it while you're at rest. And then when you wake up in the morning, you don't wake up to something new. You wake up to the fact that God has been sustaining the planet long while you are at rest. And you wake up and you say, Now, Lord, you've been sustaining the entire world while I was asleep. Even my own breathing and heart and mind and soul. And I'll live in faith today that you'll sustain me again.